Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. I was preparing yesterday uh, to share with you guys, and I felt like the Lord was speaking to me about, you know, three dimensions of prayer that I wanted to go into. And, um, you know, as often happens, I kind of show up on Sunday and things start happening, and I feel like the Lord starts shifting. <laughs> and, uh, and so he's the boss. I'm just the messenger. Uh, <clears throat> the, I'm the mailroom guy. I... I get to, to deliver, <laughs> but you guys get to receive, because he is good, because he's good. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 56. I'm going to read verse 7, Isaiah 56, 7. I'm reading from the New King James. It says, even then I will bring to my holy mountain, or even them I will bring to my holy mountain, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And the Lord just really just started speaking to me about the whole house of prayer. And the restoration of the tabernacle of David and the need for when the, when the tabernacle of David, the night and day prayer is restored to the church, then the government of God will begin to be released out of the city. And God wants to set up a lampstand in New York City. I want to say it again. God wants to set up a lampstand in New York City. Okay, what the heck is a lampstand? <laughs> in Revelations, it talks about the, the burning lamps, right? And, and it's actually, it's, it's, it's you and I as burning fiery ones lifting up praise and worship to the Lord. You... <laughs> You are the light of the world, right? You're a city set on a hill. A sit, you know, when a, when a person lights a lamp, the Bible says, should he put it under the table? No, you put it on top and it gives light to everyone. We are the light of the world. We, th there's a lampstand. Where is the house of prayer located? Where's the physical location of the house of prayer? Anybody? There you go. It's in here. It's right here. It's not just in Kansas City or wherever. It's wherever the believers are because he's called you and I to be a house of prayer. For who? For all nations. Turn with me to Isaiah 62, beginning I'm going to read verses 1 to 7. Isaiah 62, 1 to 7. I'm reading from the New King James. For Zion's sake... I will not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation 
as a lamp that burns. The Gentiles shall see your shall see your righteousness and the kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. You shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land be termed desolate. But you shall be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Now I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent and give him no rest till he establishes until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. The scripture in Isaiah was specifically given to Israel over Jerusalem. But I, I know that God is doing a work in the whole earth. And he has appointed the times in which we live and the boundaries in which we dwell. So that means the day and the hour that we live in today and the fact that we're in New York City was appointed. You're not here by accident. You're actually here by divine design. God has appointed times and seasons and he's established where you live and where you dwell. How many know that we're actually, this is for such a time as this, you know? Esther was in the king's court, in the king's palace, and had favor from the king, but she was someone who was in secret. She, her, her, her heritage was unknown to the king. And then when the plot of Haman to try to wipe out all of the Jewish people in, in exile was uh, sort of unhatched. And um, her, her uncle, help me, I'm blanking. <laughs> Mordecai, thank you. Her uncle goes there and tells her, did you see this decree? You got to go before the king and make an intercede on behalf of your people. And she says, no one can go into the king. They'll die. And he says, what do you think? You're going to be exempt from this? As soon as they find out, you're as good as dead like the rest of us. And then she, she said, okay, I'll go. And whatever happens, happens. She fasts for three days. But he says to her, who knows if it's for such a time as this that you've been brought to this place. You've been strategically planted. And I want to posit that you and I here in New York City today, that God has put us here for such a time as this. We live in an unprecedented day and hour. And there's about, God wants to bring forth a manifestation of his presence in the city 
a great outpouring of his spirit that will, you know, bring thousands upon thousands into the kingdom, that it will be a sign and a wonder. How many, how many believe that God wants to do that? I mean, really, that he wants to do that. You know, Jesus is worthy of, of his full inheritance. You know, he didn't shed his blood on the cross. He didn't take that crown of thorns, get whipped with that, those scourges with the cat nine tails and have his flesh ripped from his body, suffer that excruciating death for nothing. He had a purpose and a plan. He, he, he knew. He says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And it was something to be endured. It was, it was not pleasant. And, uh, but he took it all for you and for I that we could be restored into re right relationship with the Father because this is what it's all about. It's all about being rightly related back to God. As a son, as a daughter, it's coming, it's coming back into proper divine order. And it's all about family because he's a father in heaven who loves his children. I'm going to say it again. He's a father in heaven who deeply loves and cares for his children, all his children, all his children. No one is left out. He, he, he loves and cares for us all. But we can't, we can't decide how we're going to relate back. You can't, you can't make your own decision on how you're going to relate back. There's only one way. There's only one way to come back to the Father. It's through Jesus Christ, okay? And any other way is the wrong way, <laughs> and you need to repent. Now, to some people, that sounds closed-minded. That sounds that it's God's way. I, I, it's, not, it's not my way. It's not something that I came up with. It just, I'm just telling you, I'm the messenger. I'm the mailroom guy, <laughs> and this is the message. The Father has a way back. It's through Jesus Christ. He sent, he so loved us, he sent his only begotten son. Now, God wants to do something in the earth. And specifically, you have to know that God wants to do something in New York City. You have to know that you're not here by your own devices. God has established the times and seasons of your life. He set up the different decisions that have come your way that have brought you to the city because he wants to do something in and through you in this city. That's why you're here. You have to know that because if you don't know that, then you'll kind of wander aimlessly. I could go here. I could go there. Well, you know, whatever. I'm just, I'm just a free spirit. <laughs> I'm not a free spirit. My life was bought with a price. I don't belong to myself. I belong to him. I can't go wherever I want. I surrendered all of my rights. I have none. I belong to Jesus. I'm going to say it again. I belong to Jesus. I can't choose. I let him lead. I let him lead. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, we're on a journey. We are on a great journey. Yesterday, my wife said something to me while we were having a little devotional time about house of prayer or just the call, the Nehemiah, Nehemiah 
word, I think. You, you said it in passing. Probably didn't think about it much. I didn't overly think about it until the Holy Spirit started emphasizing something to me just this morning. <laughs> but that's how the Holy Spirit does, right? He'll, you know, were you, were you listening? Were you hearing? Or did you just let it pass by? Oh, yeah, just, you know, we're chatting and, you know. A lot of our chatter, <clears throat> it just, it's, we're just filling up space. And it's okay. It's, we're relating to each other. We're, you know, can you pass the sugar? You know, <laughs> it is what it is. But it's okay. But you still have to have an ear to hear when God is speaking. All right, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 2. She reminded me of a word that I had received from Cindy Jacob. Gosh, I think it was 2008, so it seems like an eternity ago. You know, that's uh, about 15 years ago, right? So 14 years ago. It's a lot of years ago. <clears throat> How many can wait on a word 14 or 15 years? How many get a word and think it's going to happen tomorrow? How many know that sometimes you, you get a word and then you go through a dark night of the soul? And then you come out with a limp. Because until you're limping, you think it's you. But all of a sudden when, you, when you're limping, you don't have that strength you used to have. And you have no choice but to lean more onto God. And the more you lean onto God, you learn what it means. When I'm weak, then he is strong. We need to learn how to lean in. I want to tell you something. Here's a confession. I hate to be weak. I, I, I hate it. I like being strong. I like being a guy. I can do this. Come on. And uh, in weakness, I feel inadequate, I feel insecure, I feel, how's this ever going to work? But somehow, God takes my weakness, my inadequacy, my insecurity, my brokenness, and he breathes on it, and he makes something beautiful. And then I and everyone else around me says, how did you do that? I don't know. <laughs> Must not have been me. And then God gets the glory. So that's real. Okay, Nehemiah chapter 2. I want to read um, beginning of verse 15 to 18. Nehemiah 2, beginning of verse 15. So I went up in the night by the valley. So I'm going to just stop. I'm sorry. I'm going to give you a little background. Nehemiah. Is in, uh, is, part, is in the captivity, right? He's in the Babylonian or Persian, wherever he was. He was, he was serving the king. He was the cupbearer to the king. And, um, you know, he comes in and actually has a sad countenance before the king one time, and he never has a sad countenance. And you're not really allowed to have a sad countenance in front of the king or they chop your head off. <laughs> I'm glad you, be glad you, you live and work in today. <laughs> A little different. The labor laws are a little different. 
Anyway, so the king notices, he said, he says, what's up? And he says, well, you know, I know my, you know, my country where I'm from, Jerusalem, the temple where we worship, I just got a report, everything's in ruins, it's a mess, and I'm sad. And he said, what do you desire? Well, you know, and I'm giving you the short version, you can read it yourself. I would like to go back and see if we could start to rebuild. And the king says, what will you need? How long will you be gone, et cetera. And <clears throat> so fast forward, he has favor. He's, 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 he's sent back and to survey. And so fast forward, here we are, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 15. He's back in Jerusalem. So I went up in the night by the valley, and I viewed the wall. And then I turned back and I entered into the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. Then I said to them, you see the distress that we're in? How Jerusalem lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire? Come. Let us build a wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God which had been upon me and also the king's word which he had spoken to me. So they said, let's rise up and build. Then they set their hands to the good work. And I felt the Lord had spoken to me. He's given me, was, my wife reminded me yesterday, but it was almost 14 years ago that I received the word. <clears throat> Part of the word was, you are a Nehemiah. God has set you in the high places to rebuild the walls of the city. And so those are big words. Sounds very lofty. And, yeah. and then you go through the dark night of the soul, and it's, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? <laughs> and you come to recognize that he was always there, but he needed to do a work inside to make you ready. I say all that to say I really believe there's an anointing on this company to rebuild the walls, that God set us here to establish something in the city. I believe it is to rebuild the house of prayer. I believe it is to establish back here burning lampstands where worship and praise doesn't stop day and night. That it, it's fire burning on the altar. It's the, the prayers of the saints are like incense filling the bowls of heaven so that when God looks down on New York City, He's feeling, there's this constant incense coming up before him. Because I believe that the Lord wants to touch a city, New York City, like the way he touched a city called Nineveh. And that at the preaching of one man, Jonah, an entire city repented. Does that sound too hard for God? All things are possible for them who believe. You know, without faith, it's impossible to please God. We were reading in our, as many as are tracking with us on the Bible reading plan, we were reading Hebrews 11 
this last day or two. And um, uh, one of the references were to Enoch, that Enoch pleased God, and then God took him up to be with him uh, because his life pleased him. And my prayer, reading that, and I put it out there, was like, God, I want my life to please you. I want to be pleasing, right? And 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 I felt felt just then, and maybe it was it was also part of the reading, but it was just this is you know when you're reading the Bible, it's a it should be a conversation. You know, you, you can read your other books for just entertainment or to try to fall asleep at night, but read the Bible as part of your prayer. <laughs> you know, read the Bible and engage with Him. Say, God, help me to understand this. Help me to go deeper with You as I'm reading. You know, what what does this passage mean? Talk to Him about it. Don't just read through to check off, you know, the thing. You have to engage. It's just so important. All right, that's an aside. So Enoch pleased God, and then God took him. And he never had experienced death. That's pretty cool. And, uh, and then in Hebrews 11, it says, without faith... It's impossible to please God. For those who come to him must believe that he is God. He is God. He's the creator of the universe. He is the almighty God. you got to believe that. And that he's a rewarder of those who diligently, some, some, some translations, as I was trying to study this out a little bit, say passionately, Diligent, you know, he, he's a reward of those who diligently seek him or passionately seek him. There's, it's, it's not casual. Like, I don't want to be named amongst the casual Jesus followers. I want to be those crazy, I want to be named among the crazy ones. No, honestly. Like, we got to be all in. There's no, none of this, yeah, it's cool to serve Jesus right now, but it gets a little rough. You know, I'm in the back. <laughs> no, I, you know, we, he wants us to be the point of the spear. He really wants us to be the point of the spear. And, you know, that, that requires, like Peter, you know, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come out on the water. And he says, all right, come. And you get out in the water, and as long as your eyes are fixed on Jesus, everything's cool. And then when you start to look around and say, wait a second, these, it's a little windy out here, and these waves are. <laughs> and how the heck am I walking on water? And all of a sudden, doubt and unbelief come in, and then you begin to sink. <clears throat> Thank God Jesus is there, and he grabs Peter and pulls him up. But he wants us to be people of faith. People of faith. Let me ask you a question. This was like a teaser. Pastor Bernard, my old pastor, used to say this. He said... Um, is it better to have strong faith in a weak rope or weak faith in a strong rope? Some of you heard me say this. What do you think? <laughs> Good answer. Jesus said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, 
what's a, a mustard seed is what? We used to, I remember we had some preacher came in one time and he'd give out these little mustard seeds. They were like the tiniest little things. They produced a massive tree. It's not the quality of your faith. It's the object of your faith. Who is your faith in? Jesus said, have, have faith in God. Have faith in God. The object lesson is, what are you putting your faith in? If you, the answer is, I'd rather have weak faith in a strong rope. Why? Because a strong rope's going to hold me. <laughs> I don't want to have strong faith in a weak rope. The weak rope's got nothing. When I put all my weight on it, that ain't holding me. I don't care how much faith I have unless God is holding me, not that rope. Do you catch what I'm saying? The object of your faith is the most important thing. Your faith needs to be in God, in God, in God. He can do all things. I, have faith. I don't have faith in my faith. You know, the, I love the word of faith movement because it's, it's about faith in God. But some people, some people lose, you know, understanding and they have faith in their faith. And it's just like, it, it, it's just, look, you could take truth and distort it and then it gets, it's error. <laughs> have faith in God. Have faith in God. He's the key. So i've been walking around and i think to a certain extent about this whole idea 24 7 and this is what the lord is doing it's like i've looked at it and just said that's uh, i can't i can't focus on that because it looks too hard god if you're going to do it it's going to be by you know you're going to have to just do it and i feel like the lord's saying to me will you believe me though will you have faith to do what i've called you to do to establish something I've established you, but I've called you to establish something else. Will you use how, what I've done for you to, to now do what I'm asking you to do? <clears throat> I feel like the Lord's saying, stop saying it's too hard. Stop saying it's too hard. That doesn't mean it's not hard. <laughs> I don't have to lie and say, oh, it's easy. <laughs> but if God's in it, if God's for it, if his grace is breathing on it, you know, he's asking us to step in. Is it, does that require sacrifice? Yeah, I don't think there's anything you do for God that doesn't require sacrifice. You know, when you read the, the account of the Moravians and Count Zinzendorf, one of the things that impacted Count Zinzendorf was he saw this amazing picture as he was traveling in his, <clears throat> it was, I guess it was part of his educational thing touring Europe. He was in a museum, and it was a painting of Christ. I, I, you know, I'm not exactly, it was like on a cross or whatever. What was that? Ece homo. I can't translate it for you. I'll give it to the, the Latin scholars. Uh, but the inscription on the bottom of the painting was, I did this for you. What will you do for me? And it gripped Count Zinzendorf. And he couldn't shake it. He couldn't shake it. And, uh, you know, and then the whole story of the whole Moravian movement that they were persecuted and he established a place for them in Hernhut. 
and how they established a, a prayer meeting that lasted, it was 120 years, 130 years, and uh, an unending prayer, 24-7 for 130 years. 100 years, sorry. In, 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 and it went, and out of that place, they sent missionaries all over the world. And the missionaries that they sent had no care for their own lives. They really took the place of, um, for the lamb, you know. Uh, they gave everything that the lamb would receive the full reward of his suffering. And so some even sold themselves into slavery in order to reach uh, the slaves in, in the West Indies. And so they were radical. And they, they, they didn't, it wasn't about self-preservation, you know, and they had an attitude, if they die, they die. And they weren't worried about it. They did not love their lives unto death. They lived it out for the glory of the Lamb. And uh, they had, a, they had a, an amazing impact even on John Wesley uh, in the midst of a storm traveling across the ocean, you know, every, all the sailors, everybody was panicked that they were going to be drowned. But this little group of Moravians were just singing hymns, praising the Lord, kind of like Paul and Silas in the prison. And uh, when it was all done, he was like, they had something I don't have. And, and God used them as part of his journey. Okay. Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 4. Beginning, of, I'm just going to read verses 13 and 14, and then I'm going to skip down to verse 17 through 20. <clears throat> Nehemiah, therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords and their spears and their bows. And I looked and I arose, and I said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Okay, so just to give you the background, Nehemiah starts rebuilding a wall. The people around him don't like what's happening, and, it, and they're starting to send threats, and they're actually planning to, to come and wipe them out as they're building on the wall. So <clears throat> Nehemiah gathers everybody together, and he says, look, we're on different parts of the wall. We're all, uh, we're all spread out, but, you know, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, gather to me there. And we're going to fight for one another. And they thwart the plans of the enemy who were, who were trying to stop the building of the wall. What is the point? Whenever you start to do something for God, resistance still comes. Just because you decided to do something for God doesn't mean that it's, not, it's going to be easy. And that everybody's going to say, oh, awesome, keep going and let me support you. <laughs> you may get persecution. You know, you're going to, there's going to be roadblocks, the question you always have to ask, God, did you tell me to do this? Right? It's important that you know from the start that you have a word from the Lord. And when you, when you have that certainty, then you can keep going. When we started this work, we felt very much the call of God. Now, that was important because in the early years, 
you know, when you don't see a lot of fruit, you know, you're just kind of plowing soil, you're planting seed. Anything come up yet? I don't know if this is working. It, ta- it takes some time for a seed. And you plant a seed, it doesn't come up a day or two later, right? It's like it may take some weeks or months. It depends on what you've planted. Um, the point is we felt we were a part of something bigger than ourselves. And we felt we had a word of the Lord. And therefore, we were able to just stay the course. We were able to stay. It didn't want, the outside didn't matter. We were being obedient to the Lord, and we stayed the course. And I, I just want to encourage you, when you face opposition, stay. If You have to have the word of the Lord. Listen, if you're stepping out and just on presumption, it's, there's a difference between faith and presumption. Presumption is, oh, God, I'm going to do this. Would you bless it? And say, come on, God, we're going this way. Let Bless this, because this is actually good, because I'm sure you want this. And it's part of your will, and, you know, I'm, I'm doing something good. And, and probably is something good. But did the Lord call you to it? You know, just because it's something you think is good, did God call you to it? Because you gotta, we want to follow the Lord, not lead and say, God, come alongside me. That's so important. Okay, so... Um, God is doing something. I just feel it's so important that we understand. It's important to know times and seasons. You know, we, 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 we just came through an unprecedented, and I don't even know if we're through it. We've been in an unprecedented season on the, in the natural realm, right? This whole COVID pandemic is unprecedented. Uh, nobody in this room in their lifetime has experienced a pandemic. I, I, I'm pretty sure. I think I can say that. At least I haven't. Um, and I'm one of the oldest people in the room. <laughs> and so it's been a crazy, crazy season, right? And, and, but it didn't take God by surprise. Like God didn't say, oh, what happened? Didn't, you know, how'd that get in there? No. He knew this was going to be a global thing. It was going to happen all around the world. And so in the midst of it, we have to keep asking, God, what are you saying? What are you doing? What are you saying? What are you doing? Because God's always moving. He's always moving. I really believe as we were singing songs today about, you know, you know, he breathes in the, in the, in the desert place, in this barren place, you know, because that's his nature. You know, he brings life. And we were singing all that. I kept feeling, I kept feeling the city of New York. I kept feeling the city of New York. We came, we're, you know, this... Past season, it's getting better now, um, but this city practically died. It was a, it was a, it was a barren wasteland, and I really feel like the Lord wants to do something in our city, and it's going to require a yes in your hearts, okay? And and that may mean some inconvenience, that may mean sacrifice, that may mean, you know, doing following the Lord when it's inconvenient for you. God's not just your, your, you know, your piggy bank that you just go to for a blessing. Like, God, give me this, give me that. Like, and if that's your idea, you've missed it. You know, he's, he's already given everything for you, right? Now the thing is, how do I live for him?
It's so important that we know who we are in Christ. Now, I say that, and I have to tell you that I, people were saying that to me in the 1980s. Know your identity. I never really understood what it meant. I just thought, at the time, I used to think it was know your authority. Like, I have a, the, you know, the authority of the believer in his name. <clears throat> it's so much more. To know your identity is to know whose family you're a part of. How do you identify yourself? I, I'm Bill White. If someone asks me, what's your name? Bill White. Bill is a given, my, my given name. White is my family name. I identify as part of a family, right? Most of us do. Um, and, and that speaks about where you came from. It's about your heritage. Identity in the Lord is who are we identified with? You know, if you're a son, if you've been adopted by the grace of God, then you've been brought into another family. You've been brought into the family of God. And he's a loving father, and you get your identity from him. It's so important that we, we know who we are in Christ. Turn with me to, to John 14. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Can you... Uh, John 14, beginning at verse 15. I, I want to read from the Amplified Classic. Can I? Is that something we can put up on the screen? John 14, beginning at verse 15. I'm sorry. I'm probably going to go back earlier. You know, when God switches up my notes, it's, it's harder for me to, to track. But I'm trying. All right, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to start reading from John 14, and this is where I'm, I'm going to bring it to an end. John 14 through 17 is the, uh, the upper, it's, it's known, you know, scholars or bi biblical scholars who study this stuff. They call it the Upper Room Discourse. It's Jesus' final sermon before he goes to the cross. Three chapters, 14 through 17. Mike Bickle thinks these are, this is probably some of the most important, this is the most important teaching Jesus did. And for us in this day and hour, he thinks that we need to be so steeped in John 14 through 17, the whole Upper Room Discourse, because this is what is going to secure us and keep us, you know, as we as we walk out in faith into wh wherever God's taken us. But it's, there's, starting at verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled, distressed, or agitated. Have anybody been troubled, distressed, or agitated in the past year? You believe in and adhere to and trust in and rely on God. Who's our faith in? God. He's the object. 
of our faith. We believe in God. Jesus said, believe in, adhere to, and trust in, and rely also on me. He's trustworthy. Let's rely on him. Let's lean. It's, it's so important we lean in. In my father's house, there are many dwelling places, homes. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you, and when, when I go and make ready a place for you, I'm going to come back again, and I'm going to take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. And to the place where I'm going, you know the way. Now, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know the way. Where are you going? How can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. Okay, that's not my opinion. Jesus said it. If you had known me, if you learned to recognize me, you would have known my Father. But from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip was stuck a little bit in his carnal thinking, just natural realm thinking. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. Cause us to see the Father, and that's all we ask. Then we shall be satisfied. Jesus replied, I have been with you I've been with all of you for so long a time. And do you not recognize and know me yet, Pete, Philip? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? See, Jesus, it says in, in Hebrews, he was the express, meaning the manifest image of the Father. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? I want to emphasize that first. <laughs> Jesus said, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father's in me? Highlight that. Hit your highlight feature. There you go. What I'm telling you, I do not say on my own authority and my own accord, but the Father who lives in me does does the works, his own miracles, his deeds and power. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the, the very works themselves. If you cannot trust me, at least these works that I do in my Father's name should convince you. I assure you most assault, and, and I assure you most solemnly, I tell you, if anyone steadfastly believes in me, he will himself be able to do the things that I do. And he will do even greater things because I go to the Father. And I will do, I myself will grant whatever you ask in my name as presenting all that I am so that the Father may be glorified and extolled in the Son. Yes, I will grant or I myself will do for you whatever you ask in my name as presenting all that I am. Now when he says, I will do whatever you ask in my name. This, this, is, this is about identification. This is about identity. 
Are you identified with Christ? It's Christ in you. Have you put on his character? Have you submitted yourself to his lordship? Have you so surrendered your life? This is all about a surrendered life. That's what it means to be in, in his name coming under his authority, in his family, in his name. In his name is, and listen, I do it and we all do it. We, we, we say, whenever we pray, we say, in the name of Jesus. But I am convinced that it doesn't matter if I add those four words at the end of my prayer. It's not about saying four words. It's about identifying with Christ, being in him, being a follower, being a believer, living a surrendered life, and then when my prayers go up, they're going up out of a life that's given to him. They're not magic words. It's not abracadabra and it happens. It's when I say in Jesus' name. Now, I'm all, keep praying in Jesus' name at the end of your prayers. I do it. It's fine. But I just want to make a point. It's not about tacking on those words and that he's going to do it because I tacked on four words at the end of a prayer that was full of my selfish desires. Ain't happening. Okay, verse 15. If you really love me, you'll keep my commandments, my commands. They're not just the written word, all the do's and don'ts. It's following the Holy Spirit, letting him lead. If he's prompting you to do something, give a cup of cold water to somebody, you know, say a kind word to someone, whatever it is, it's, it's, it's allowing him to lead you. And I will ask the Father, and he'll give you an, another comforter also known as the counselor, the helper, the intercessor, the advocate, the strengthener, the one who always stands by you, that he may remain with you forever. He's the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. It can't welcome it. The world can't welcome him into its heart because it doesn't see him or know or recognize him. But you know and recognize him because he lives with you constantly and he'll be with you. Listen, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm not going to leave you comfortless, desolate, bereaved, forlorn, and helpless. You are not helpless. He's with you. I will come back to you. Just a little while now, and the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You will live also. At that time, when that day comes, what day are we talking about? In this moment, he's talking about a point in time to come in the future. It's the resurrection. At that time, when that day comes, you will know for yourselves that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Well, let's just go. Let's look back at verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father's in me? Go down to verse 20. At that time, what time? What's that time? Resurrection. When he rises, at that time, when that day comes, you will know for yourselves that I am in the Father, 
but you are in me and I am in you. Wow. Don't wish read through those verses and say, this is a little confusing. I'm in him, he's in me. Where is he? I don't know. Stop and say, God, help me to go deeper in this. Because it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, we all love that. Uh, we all quote that. But what does it mean? It's he's actually in me, but I'm in him. Like, it's all surrounding. Romans 8 says there's no condemnation for those who are where? In Christ. And where are we? We are in Christ. Why? Because he lives in me, and, and I'm in him, and he's in the Father, and we're all wrapped up in this thing. And so when he looks at me, what's he seeing? I'm, well, he sees me, but I'm in him, and he's in me, and I'm in the Father. I know it's a little funny, and I'm making it sound a little funny, but, but really, like, you're all wrapped up in God. Like, this salvation, this grace that we have is, is something amazing. It's very deep. Don't read through these verses casually. He's in you. You're in him. He's in the Father. When he looks at you, he sees Christ. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But wait a minute, I messed up the other day, but, I, but he sees Christ in me. Is there any condemnation in Christ? No. He was the perfect, sinless Lamb of God. But he's in me. This, this is transformative. If you really understand identity, that you're in him. You're in him. He's in you. The person who has my commands and keeps them, see who really loves me. It's because we've given our lives to follow the Lamb of God. Whoever really loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show, reveal, manifest myself to him. I will let myself be clearly seen by him and make myself real to him. He's good. Then Judas, not Iscariot, asked him, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to make yourself known to us but not to the world? Jesus said, if a person really loves me, he's going to keep my word, obey my teachings, and my Father will love him and will come to him and we will make our home, our abode, our special dwelling place with him. Christ in you. He lives in you. You've received Christ as Savior, Messiah. You've turned your back on the things, you know, on all the things you shouldn't be doing. Say, God, I want to follow you. Then he's living inside of you. Anyone who does not really love me does not observe and obey my teaching. And the teaching <clears throat> which you hear and heed is not mine, but it comes from the Father who sent me. I have told you these things while I'm still with you. But the Comforter who is the counselor, the helper, the intercessor, the advocate, the strengthener, the person who always stands by you, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all these things and he will cause you to recall 
He will remind you of. He's going to bring it to your remembrance. Everything I've told you. And he leaves his peace with you. My own peace I now give and bequeath to you, not as the world do I give you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Stop allowing yourselves to be agitated and disturbed. Do not permit yourselves to be fearful, intimidated, cowardly, and unsettled. When things are going a little crazy outside, inside, he wants you to have peace. He wants you to have confidence. He wants you to know you're a son, you're a daughter, you belong to him. He's got you covered. This, this abiding There is an abiding in, in the Lord. Can we all stand? Can I ask everyone just to close your eyes for a moment? I really believe the Holy Spirit wants to minister to your hearts. There is a life he's inviting us to in him. In John 15, it says, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will ask whatever you will and it will be granted to you. But you have to understand the abiding life is one that's staying in full communion with the Lord. It's one that turns away from anything that grieves the Holy Spirit in your life. Start with sin. Start with obvious known sin. And then allow the Lord to just lead you. And sometimes it'll, it, it may be other things that he's just jealous for your time. Sometimes he's jealous for your time because, you know, my wife will tell you, I used to watch the news nonstop. To me, I was just, I wanted to be informed. God started dealing with me. Was it, was it an outright sin? No, watching the news. But God's jealous for your time. He's jealous for your attention. He's jealous for the things, like he wants you to be consumed with him. What consumes you? What consumes you? Will you allow him to deal with even the things? Start with known sin. Repent, turn away from that. But then allow him to deal with the things that compete for your affection, 
because he wants you to love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Every eye closed. You guys are a peculiar people. You're peculiar because God's placed a hunger in your heart to know Him deeply. You are the apple of His eye. He's called you in a, in a bridal paradigm. He's called you to the wedding feast of His Son. You've been betrothed to one who's given everything for you. How can we hold anything back? Holy Spirit, come. God, release grace right now for the surrendered life. Release grace, God, for the surrendered life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at LifeCenterChurchNYC.